Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Well, we're going to continue in our series today part three of living through devastating times because many people's lives have been devastated and I want to speak into the situation right now. So won't you pray with me and then we will get straight into the word. Father, we thank you today that we can come to you with expectation that we will hear the word of the Lord and that you will speak to us. Open our hearts today and thank you, Lord, that there's so much in the word that relates to us. The psalmist says in in Psalm 25, my problems go from bad to worse. Oh, save me from my trouble, from my pain, feel my pain. Thank you, Lord, that we can call out to you when we're in trouble and we're in problems. Thank you that the word of God has got a solution. There's always a biblical text that speaks into our situation. So speak today, encourage our hearts and equip us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Chuck Swindoll is one of my favorite authors, and uh, he's written a book called Living on the Ragged Edge. I like the subtitle, Coming to Terms with Reality. And I want to quote this to you because he speaks of the unpleasant situation we find ourselves in in our world. You know, sometimes we're surprised when we face hardship. We're surprised when things go wrong. But this is what he says. He says, in this ragged-edged reality called earthly existence, life is somewhere between sad and bad. All it takes is a quick look around to discover why we line up to watch fantasies that take us to galaxies far away. Who wouldn't want to escape from an existence as boring and painful as ours? For many, it's downright horrid. It's drug abuse, it's sleepless nights, it's headaches, it's heartaches, it's hate, rape, assault, jail sentences, it's sickness and sorrow. Pretty negative picture. He says it's broken lives, it's distorted minds, mainly as Solomon discovered long ago, it's empty. This is life for many people. There's nothing down here under the sun that will give you and me a sense of lasting satisfaction. He says it's planned that way. Really? He says, how else would we realize our need for the living God? You see, a lot of what we experience, we question, why are things going wrong? Why is this happening to me in an age of comfort and convenience and human rights? How can this be happening to me? But God allows it so that we can discover our need for him and we must know how to live through the devastating times instead of questioning him and becoming victims in our lives. You know, times of devastation are mentioned throughout scripture and God's people are affected by them. Even men and women of God are affected by them. So if you're going through devastating times right now and you're being affected by it, It's normal, but what do you do in it? What does the Bible teach? And how can we get through it and become victors despite the circumstances? And you know, there are famines, disasters, losses, weaknesses, and lack in the Bible, and many texts that show us that things go from bad to worse, but in them, God is there. So I want to speak today under this title, Living Through Devastating Times, on when things go from bad to worse. Because for many Christians, they say, well, how can this be happening to me? You know, it was bad, now it's getting worse. Well, God's people went through it. And times like this occur, 
how do we get through these challenges? And even Jesus mentioned one such occurrence in the scriptures. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 25, he says, Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years. Sounds like lockdown. And a severe famine, watch this, devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a Gentile, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. You see, this, this, this story is noted and recorded and Elijah faced a famine and endured it and things went from bad to worse and Jesus even mentions that it was a devastating time in the land. Now, I want to look at this passage and see what we can learn from it. Go to the Old Testament and look at Elijah and for some of you it will be very familiar, but we're going to draw some truth from it and see how we can apply it in our lives and look at four simple things that we can do. And I'm gonna take time to read this, but before I do, I want to tell you the context because every passage has a context. It was a time in Israel when King Ahab and Jezebel were ruling. They were evil people and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They worshiped Baal and they were adulterers. They were uh, people who, who uh, didn't honor God and led the people of God astray. They were greedy, they were selfish. And uh, they were people who were materialistic. And here's the thing, the famine came because God wanted to deal with them. And when God wants to deal with nations, we as believers sometimes can experience the devastating times as well, but we can live through them when things go from bad to worse. So let's read it here. And it's where Elijah is first mentioned. It's where he first starts his ministry. And when he steps into his ministry, it's a challenging time, but God is there with him. So 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse one. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. What? He's an instrument here of judgment and bad news. You see, not everything we say is good news because God is also dealing with his world and he's dealing with things on a much bigger scale than we can imagine. And Elijah declares it's gonna not rain for a long, long time, no moisture, no precipitation, we're going to struggle. Then it says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. Why should he hide? Well, in chapter 18, verse 10, we read about the fact that Ahab has been searching all over for him because he's a bringer of judgment and a bringer of bad news. And he wants to kill him thinking that rain will come if Elijah is dead. And the Lord says to him, you will drink from the brook Notice this, I have directed the ravens, future tense, to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. Notice the instant obedience. He went to Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. But now notice, it's a tough time, but it goes from bad to worse. It says sometime later, the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land. Clearly things are going from bad to worse. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Thank God for the word of the Lord that comes when things go from bad to worse. And the Lord says, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. By the way, this is a coastal city in Lebanon where Jezebel was actually from. So God's sending him into enemy territory, but he's going to provide for him even though things are going from bad 
to worse. And he says, and stay there, I have directed, just like he directed the ravens, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Future tense. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. She was on the edge of death. Things had gone from bad to worse and here he's asking for something. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. And today, church, we need to hear what the Lord God of Israel says. And he, he there declares a prophecy. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord. Notice the promises of God here spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse. I mean, the famine is going from bad to worse, but now her own family is affected by the famine and her son is getting worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. How many of you know this is a bad to worse situation? She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? She immediately thinks God's doing this to her. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms and carried him to upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? He wasn't quite sure what was going on here because God was judging the land. Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times, probably to warm his body and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house and gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. I'm sure she must have been overjoyed. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. You know, she knew he was a man of God when he first arrived because in verse 18, we read that, but now she really knows. And you know, tragedy and trials and difficulties and devastating times, when things go from bad to worse and God shows himself, guess what? Our faith grows and we discover who the Lord really is. And it is sometimes good for us when we've seen him work in the midst of tragedy. Now, note here that this woman lost her son and immediately she thinks God is against her. And I know for many people, when we go through trials and difficulties, we can begin to think God is against us. But God allows devastating times, but he's not against us. When our loved ones die, like during COVID, it's not God's best for us. He may be dealing with the world and we're going, things are going from bad to worse, but we must never think that God did it to us. He allowed it, but his perfect will is life and blessing and provision. Even Elijah asks, have you brought this onto this woman? He wasn't even sure. And there's a challenge when we go through hard times to trust God. It's not the Lord that's doing this. God is good and he does good, but I'm going to get through this even though things are going from bad to worse. 
And you know, when things go from bad to worse, not only do we need to depend on God, but sometimes we have to depend on others. Elijah had to depend on the woman. Firstly, he had to depend on ravens. He had to depend on God, but God often works through others. He's instruments to provide for us. And uh, I'm sure that sometimes when God instructs us to help others in devastating times, we can think it's the devil because we've got so little. I'm sure when that woman was instructed by the Lord, she thought, never, this can't be God. I've got nothing and he's asking me to give it away. But God used ravens. God wanted to use her and God uses people during our devastating times and we need to be open to that. Now, just a little aside here, the widow was thought in tradition to be some 20 years old, just a young woman with a child on her own, husband had died, things were going from bad to worse. She would have been a woman that would have gone out and gleaned, you know, when the harvesters were picking, they would have left something behind for her to glean, but there were no harvests, there was just famine dry, cracked ground. She couldn't go out there and even glean. So she was on her last legs, down and out, nothing left. And along comes this man of God and he asks for the remaining little that she has. She's just gathering a few sticks and she's preparing to die. Things have gone from bad to worse, but let's see how the story turns out. Many of you know the outcome, but stay tuned. Let's see four things here that we discover. Number one, trust God fully when things go from bad to worse. If right now in your life things are going from bad to worse, do not stop trusting God. Say, I'm gonna trust him no matter what happens. And remember, God guided Elijah stage by stage. Sometimes when things go from bad to worse, we don't realize that God is there helping us day by day. God directed Elijah to the brook. Then he fed him with ravens. Then he directed him to the widow. And God directs us and helps us. So we need to trust him fully and we need to hear the word of the Lord. You notice every time the word of the Lord came and directed him, he trusted that and he acted on it. And then he saw provision and he trusted God's word fully. And you and I have the word of the Lord. We need to constantly trust it. You say things are going from bad to worse. Well, don't believe God's against you fully trust his word and his promises and act on them and believe for God's provision even though you're living through devastating times. And here God provides in this passage, notice the called of God is provided for and the widow, the unknown, two different stratas of society and God meets their need and he often does it, have you noticed, at the 11th hour. God sends Elijah only when the brook had dried up. Do you notice that? The brook dried up and then he spoke to him. And then when he gets to the widow, the widow says, I'm on my last legs. Gonna pick up two sticks, gonna make one meal, I'm gonna die. So God sometimes comes through at the 11th hour, but you need to trust him fully. He will provide maybe not your luxuries at the moment, but your daily provision and you need to depend on him. Famine is declared by God here, but notice not prevented by God. You see, sometimes when we go through these times, we say, Lord, why couldn't you have prevented this? Why did you allow COVID? Why did you allow devastation across the entire world? The church has been praying. Some have been prophesying. How come we're going through this terrible season? But you know, God knows ahead of the time. He knew there'd be a famine in Zarephath, yet he sent Elijah to the woman. He, he, orchestrated the uh, famine that Elijah experienced and declared to Ahab, but in the midst of it, he provided. And we've got to trust that God knows what he's doing. Bear in mind, he's dealing with Ahab and Jezebel. 
He's bringing judgment on them. He's making them realize that they can't rely on their idol worship. You see, Baal, whom they worshiped, was the God of fertility and the God of storms, the God of rain and the God of productivity and harvest. And they were saying, you know what? He's a figment of your imagination. He's something you've concocted in your mind and you've led the whole nation down this road. Now you're going to see how impotent your God is and you're going to have to wait and see and trust God. In the midst of these kind of situations that we're facing, the believers, the church of God, even though we are affected by it, we must trust God fully because now's the test during a time of famine. They're going through COVID, it's difficult, but we need to trust God. You see, things can go from bad to worse. And, and, and you'll remember when the Lord sent Elijah to the Kerith Ravine, they say it's a wadi, a deep cut in the clay. And at the bottom is like a brook, a river running. And it was a good place to hide him as well because he couldn't be seen down there, but God could feed him down there and nurture him through the water. And the meaning of Kerith is interesting. The place name means the place of cutting off separation or gorge. And it's interesting, he's just started his ministry, but God separates him and hides him. And sometimes when big things are about to happen in your life or your ministry, you have to go to Kerith first. In fact, Elijah would end up on Carmel, but before God uses us on Carmel, where we challenge and, and our ministry is powerful, he will first put us at Kerith, the place of cutting off, separation, or in a deep gorge. And just to remind you, if you're going through a, a time like this, you say, well, you know, I expected God to do great things in my life. Well, sometimes there's a place of preparation, a place of separation. And many of God's greats faced a similar situation. You'll remember God put Joseph in a kerith, in a prison for a time and hid him there before he emerged and brought him to the palace. Moses was at kerith, if you like, when he spent 40 years in the wilderness before he became the great leader of Israel. There's a place of cutting off and separation. There's a gorge before there's an emergence and then the mountaintop. King David, before his time of leading Israel as king, was on the run in the wilderness, hiding in caves, in kerithes, if you like, in ravines, because he was on the run from Saul. But God was preparing him for great things. And even the apostle Paul, three years in Arabia, removed from everything, hidden there while God dealt with him and provided for him. And then he emerged as the great leader and writer of most of the New Testament. And so here we see Elijah, he trusts God and uh, God will often take us to Kerith before he takes us to Carmel. You'll see in chapter 18, when you study the Bible, that, that Elijah is on Mount Carmel doing victorious things, challenging the prophets of Baal, but here is hiding in a ravine and he needs to trust God. Some of you may remember John Bunyan, the wonderful author and preacher, 1628 to 1688. He wrote the famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. And he was a, he was a lay preacher, preached the word, was bold, spoke out, and a mighty man of God. And because of his preaching, he ended up being put in prison for 12 years. And while he was in prison for 12 years, that's when he had the revelation as he looked out the prison bars and he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, one of the Christian classics uh, produced in, in, in many, many languages and still today read by people and 60 other works that he wrote. But in those 12 years in the Kerith, 
that's where he produced his greatest work. And um, it's one of the most published books in all of the English language. And this is what he said of his Kerith experience. He said, God has put me in a place where I can no longer live on my work. I can no longer live on my family, on my friends, on my pleasures, or on my ministry. I have to live on God who is invisible. You know, when devastating times come, things go from bad to worse. God will put you at Kerith, but there you learn to depend on him and you need to trust him fully. Number two, the second thing we discover from this passage is that we need to, you need to develop your faith by responding correctly. You know, when we go through devastating times and things go from bad to worse, our responses can often be negative. We can become victims, we can complain. And uh, instead of faith, there's fear. Instead of gratitude, there is complaint. And instead of trust, there can be doubt. But we see Elijah, he trusts God and goes from faith to faith. When God speaks, he trusts him. When God speaks again, he trusts him again. And so his faith grows. When the widow encounters Elijah, she's first skeptical. God has spoken to her, but she's skeptical. But then she goes and makes the cake and gives it to him first. And then she discovers, hang on a minute, I can trust God. And then there's provision, and then she trusts further. She grows in her faith. And when a child dies, she, she then resorts back to victim. Yeah, is God against me? And man of God, did you come to expose my sin? And then when Elijah raises the child, she discovers that God is good, and she fully declares that he's a man of God. And it seems her faith went from strength to strength. And you know, there are two options. You can trust God and respond correctly and grow in faith. Or you can become negative and complain and complain to other people and dig a hole for yourself so that the devastating times go from bad to worse to worse to worse until you fall away from God as a believer and you declare there is no God. You can either declare you're truly God and truly the word of God is true or you can declare there's no God. The choice is yours. We have to respond correctly and we have to grow. And here this woman grew in faith, Elijah grew in faith. And you know, it must have been hard for her to trust God and grow in faith. Elijah is asking her for that which she has and promises something uh, completely uncertain. She had to surrender the certain in the hope of the uncertain. But her faith grew and she responds to him. And you know, true faith needs to come during a time like this. Not just a simple belief that there is a God, but true faith, and there are four dimensions of true faith. True faith doesn't waver. It doesn't waver. True faith says, no matter what, I'm trusting God. Things look bleak, but I'm not going to be put off. And Elijah expects the best, even when things go from bad to worse, and when things get, get worse, he still trusts God and he responds correctly. And the word of the Lord comes to him and he's able to respond to the word of the Lord. You know, if your faith wavers, you will stop receiving the word of the Lord. And so true faith doesn't waver. Number two, true faith doesn't blame. It doesn't blame. Remember the widow, she said, you know, have you come to remind me of my sins? She blames someone for the death and points to something, but true faith doesn't blame. True faith says, no, God is at work. God loves me. I trust the Lord. And she gave her son to Elijah in the midst of it, and he was raised. And no matter how things are, true faith doesn't waver, and true faith doesn't blame. Number three, true faith acts. You see, when you've got true faith, you respond to the word of the Lord. When Elijah was told to move on, he didn't say, hang on a minute, well, the brook's dried up, at least the ravens are coming, you know. Now you're sending me to a widow. I don't know who the widow is, 
but true faith acts. Every time the Lord spoke, he acted. Then the word of the Lord came again. Then he acted. Then the word of the Lord came again. And we need to act when God speaks and we need to trust him fully for recovery. And then true faith endures. It doesn't give up and stop. You know, the widow, unlike Elijah, Elijah kept trusting, but the widow gave up at one point, blamed him, blamed God, but true faith endures and she managed to break through that and she received her son and we must develop our faith in times of devastation. We must have a quiet trust and a confidence in God, but we must respond correctly and develop our faith. And you know, Elijah went from Kerith, the place of cutting off the gorge, the place of separation. He went from that to Zarephath and Zarephath is interesting as well. God sends us sometimes from the place of cutting off to Zarephath. And actually Zarephath was a city in Lebanon on the coast. And it's a workshop for the refining and smelting of metals. A refinery, if you like. And God sends him from a place of cutting off and separation to a place of refinery. Why? Because in the midst of all that's going on in the world, we are being separated. Our faith needs to grow. There needs to be a quiet trust. We need to respond correctly. And the dross needs to go out of our lives. And we discover the God who is good and who meets our needs. And God is using this time and this place in our lives right now. And we need to respond and we need to grow. And you know, God works best when we suffer and things go wrong. You might not think so now, but he did work in this situation and he can work in yours. Let me remind you of what C.S. Lewis once said. C.S. Lewis, as he watched his beloved wife die of cancer, he said, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, God allowed the famine. He was dealing with national affairs and, and, and kings and leaders who were destroying a nation. And maybe God is dealing with people in the world today, but we need trust. And then we need to grow in faith and respond correctly and say, God, I know you're not dealing with us. We're feeling the effects, but we fully trust you. And we are confident that you will get us through the season and accomplish your purpose. Number three, the third thing today, and I hope you're being helped by this simple message. Don't believe you're being judged by tragedy and loss. So many Christians feel God is judging them for their failures and sins. You know, we are hid with Christ in God and God has saved us and we are his children if we trust him and follow him. And we mustn't look at our faults and say, oh, God's bringing this on me and I'm having challenges and things are going from bad to worse because of my sins. No, there's a bigger picture here. Remember, the woman immediately thought that God was against her. And we've got to grow in faith. She said, what have you got against me, man of God? Have you come to remind me of my sin? And when we face tragedy, we can think that. But we have to look through that and trust the Lord for healing anyway. If you settle down and accept, okay, it's my fault, it's my sins, it's probably because I did that and I said that and I thought that, then you give up on trusting God. Remember our first two points. Trust God, then grow in faith and respond correctly. Now notice here, don't believe you're being judged by tragedy and loss. It's just part of the process and we're living through devastating times and some of the drops are gonna fall on us. And she gave a son to Elijah and he raised him from the dead. You see, it was a national sin that was bringing this famine into the land and national sins affect ordinary people 
as well. We all suffer for it. The world has turned against God and no longer worships Him. We worship materialism and environmentalism and secularism and socialism. And God says, okay, those are your gods. Let me remove health. Let me remove food. Let me stop the rain and see how far you go and see if you turn to me. And we experience that. We mustn't take it personally because God is dealing with bigger matters in our world right now. I know many Christians don't know what's going on. Why can't we just declare it and confess it? And how come when we pray it hasn't gone? No, if you look at the political situation in the world, God is speaking to nations and he's saying, hey, trust me. Hey, stop worshiping false gods and putting your trust in mother earth or mother nature and worshiping the planet and making it more important than people's lives. God is bringing correction and we can experience it and we can feel that it is personal. As believers, we need to believe in God's goodness and we need to keep trusting him and we mustn't succumb to the times, we must keep faith alive. Number four, the fourth thing today, and this is so important, we see it in the text, divine supply is based on God's promises and activated by obedience. The divine supply that we experience in times of devastation, when things go from bad to worse, is based on God's promises, but activated by obedience. You see, the word of the Lord came and made promises. The word of the Lord to Elijah, God said, I'm going to provide for you water from the brook and the ravens. Then I'm going to provide through a widow. And he believed and he obeyed. He heard the promise, then he acted on it. And that was, that's what caused the supply. The widow, when she was confronted by Elijah and asked for that loaf of bread, she had to make a decision. She obeyed and she went despite her concerns. And as a result, guess what happened? Supply was unlocked. She put the man of God and put God first, trusted his word and the promise that he had made and the supply kept flowing. And we need to obey. Divine instructions obeyed always lead to divine provision. And we need to trust today and we need to surrender our, our, our very best to God. You might be thinking today, man, I've got so little. Things have gone from bad to worse. How can I, how can I give? Well, you know what? Don't hold on to the little you've got thinking it's all you've got. If the widow had held on to that little, that's all she would have had. She'd have eaten the little and said to Elijah, look, it's all I've got, sorry, but they would have died. But because she believed the promise that it wouldn't run out, she surrendered the little and then ended up with years and years of provision. We've got to do exactly the same. We've got to obey God's word, keep honoring God, keep putting him first in our lives, keep loving him and worshiping him and make him, make him first place. When it comes to our giving, we need to put God first and not get into fear, even though we're going through times, we cannot, the economy's contracted, business is not flowing, and you know, I need to hold on to this in case. No, we need to keep giving, keep surrendering, keep obeying, then divine supply will be unlocked. And uh, the food didn't run out, not just because there was a promise, but because there was no hoarding, instead there was sharing. Notice there was no planting, but there was giving and using of the finances. And trust means action. She had a limited supply, but she released it and then God provided. You know, sometimes we can think that where is God? You know, I've been giving because uh, we're looking for abundance, but sometimes God will give you just enough. It says they had enough daily to eat. 
Sometimes God doesn't give you a permanent job. He gives you a temp job, but it's a job nonetheless. And so we need to trust him and we need to obey him every step of the way. Maybe today you're not seeing God's provision. I, I just want to throw this in. You're not seeing God's provision. Maybe because as, as things have gone from bad to worse, he has spoken to you, but you've not obeyed. You've not made the adjustments. Elijah walked a journey. Every time God spoke, he adjusted. Things were getting, going from bad to worse, but he adjusted and he obeyed. The widow, she obeyed. And as a result, divine supply was made available. Let me remind you, God wants to use you also to supply the needs of others, also to supply the needs of his church. And he will use ordinary people. You know, sometimes we think it's the rich that are keeping the church going. It's those who drive expensive cars. You know, they're the ones who, who really need to give. You know, look at me. All I've got is just this little bit of flour, you know, and, and, and I'm a single parent. But God says, no, I use people like you because I unlock the blessing through you, but I also unlock the blessing in your life. And so God will use the ordinary, simple, not the rich, to supply the needs, and then he unlocks divine provision in their lives too. Let me say this. God wants to change our nature from scavengers to givers. Just think about that for a moment. The ravens, it's a, it's a scavenger bird. It steals dead flesh from animals, and that's how it lives. It doesn't kill its, its own animals. It's scavengers. And you know what? As believers, we can be like scavengers. We're looking for what we can get. But God says, no, I'm going to change your nature so that you go from being someone who keeps and gets to someone that gives. And then I'll unlock supply to you, and I will bless you, and I will use you to build my kingdom. God always uses plain, ordinary people to build his church. Remember to always put him first. As I move to a close here now, I want you to notice this promise of God to the obedient, because when we're obedient, it unlocks the blessing and the provision and the supply of God. Psalm 37 and verse 18 says, the Lord takes care of those who obey him and the land will be theirs forever. I love this. They will not suffer when times are bad. They will have enough in time of famine. You see, obedience unlocks provision during devastating times. If you're going from bad to worse at the moment, trust God. Grow your faith. Persevere. Don't blame. Let your faith grow. Even though things are getting worse, say, no matter what, I'm going to trust God. Then don't believe that tragedy and loss is God judging you. Press through that and just obey his word so that you can begin to see the supply of the Lord. You know, the Lord saw Elijah's plight. He saw the widow's plight and he brought them together and he supplied. And in obedience, they saw the blessing of God when everything was going wrong and it was going from bad to worse. And remember this church, as you look at your little and you feel the desire to complain and to get into fear, remember what the widow said? I, I don't have, I only have no, that little you have is actually seed. Trust God with your seed. Be obedient, be faithful, and grow in faith. And don't blame him. Obey God and you will see the blessing of God when things go from bad to worse. And remember this, even the dead things in your life can be raised again when you trust the Lord. I want to pray with you today and I want to just change tack for a moment as I come to a close here. You know, as we read this wonderful story, we often don't realize that the widow 
from Zarephath was a Gentile. This was the first mission to the Gentiles. Here God sends the man of God to someone outside of the people of God. And uh, her first reaction is she's aware of her sins. But Elijah comes and despite her sins, he shows grace. And you remember, he stretched himself out on the boy and he came back to life. That's a picture of the Lord Jesus. He comes to us who are outside of the kingdom and he looks at us and sees our sins. But as we trust him and as we give ourselves to him like she gave her son, he stretched himself out on the cross so that he might give us new life. And you'll remember it says this, the boy's life returned to him. That tells us clearly that we've got a soul that goes to heaven. And that soul came back into the boy. And you know, you have a soul, an eternal soul that Jesus Christ has paid for so that one day when you do die, he stretched himself out on the cross so that your soul will go to a good eternity. And that passage teaches us that we have a soul. We're not just a body, we're not just animals, but there's life after death. And I wanna ask you today, do you know the one who stretched himself out for your sins? Have you put your trust in him for new life? Where will you spend eternity? Do you know? Because you have a soul. And whether you ignore it or not, your sin will either take you to heaven or to hell. But thank God Christ came to those outside and away from him so that he might reach us. Now it's our time to respond. Just like the widow responded, gave her son, we need to give our lives and then we can be saved. Let me pray with you today. If that's you, you say, yes, I want him to come to me. I know I'm a sinner, just like the widow. She knew she was a sinner and she gives herself and then Elijah stretches himself out. You know, Christ stretched himself out and as you give yourself, life can come and you can know it now, not just when you die. Come pray with me and the prayer will come up on the screen so that you can read it and pray along. Pray like this with me. Father, I come to you today and I thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave himself for my sins. Thank you in my time of loss and things going from bad to worse with my sin, you sent your son and he was stretched out on the cross for my sins. I give you my life today, Lord, and I ask you to make me new and to secure my soul and give me the gift of eternal life. I trust you fully and I yield my life to you today and I thank you for the gift. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But you've come, Lord, and I receive it gladly. Thank you today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 